welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. We light the first candle of Advent, a candle of hope. A hope that we are not alone. When hope seems to be lost, restore us, O oh God. When people are hurting and broken, restore us. Oh God, bring hope where there is despair. We light the second candle of Advent, a candle of love. A reminder that love is the engine of the world. A flicker in the darkness of night saying, all is not lost. A childish faith that love will conquer evil in the end. We light the third candle of Advent a candle of joy. We light this candle as a symbol of what wells up inside of us. Rooted in and born of a miraculous conception. A story so big it cannot be contained or stamped out. May the joy of our hearts spread to all who are near us. We light the fourth candle of Advent, a candle of peace our silent protest to the things that are broken in our world. Our steadfast faith is the one who came as the Prince of Peace. Our unwavering belief that the way of peace will one day be our newer home. May the peace of Christ reign in our hearts and minds. We light the fifth candle of Advent, a candle for the Christ. The Christ who was, and is, and always will be. The Christ who hovered over creation and now hovers over us. The Christ who calls us back to the places from which we were made. The Christ who has come into the darkness to repair, redeem, and restore. The Christ, the, Christ, the, the hope, hope, the, the love, love, the joy, the, the peace, the light of the world. Uh, my name is Micah, and I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. So glad that you've made it out tonight to celebrate with us. Uh, if you're new and looking for a church community, um, we recognize that people come to Christmas Eve services for all sorts of different reasons. But if you are looking for a new church or looking for a place to connect, there are some cards in the pews in the seat pockets in front of you. Uh, we'd love to know you were here. Uh, and if you came with tithes and offerings tonight, those cards and uh, those gifts can go in the black boxes, which are by the doors. So uh, if, you are, uh, if you've been with us at Awaken, you know that in Advent we do a series called the Advent Art Series. Uh, the four weeks prior to this morning are in the back in the gallery. And so tonight uh, we get to hear from Sarah and Kaylee. Uh, we ask artists in our community to create around the themes of Advent. So themes of anticipation and hope and longing and desire. Uh, so if you would please welcome my good friends Sarah and Kaylee. Merry Christmas. Uh, it's an honor to be up here today. Um, as I told the first hour, I really get nervous talking to a big group of you. If you were here last year, I got to do live painting and now comparing and contrasting doing this versus that. I think this is far scarier because I actually have to tell you about what I created. Um, so forgive me if I speak too quickly or mumble or any of that. And feel free to ask me questions afterward. Um, but I was asked to create a piece um, and I randomly fell on Christmas Eve, um, and I was thinking a lot about 
uh, the state of the world tonight, this hope that's like coming into our lives. And we're taking time to really remember that and celebrate that with the people that we love um, and with our spiritual community and with our community at large, whether it's work or beyond. Um, and then the other question that kept ringing in my head was this constant question of um, what good can come out of Nazareth? And that kind of translated to what good can come out of me? Um, what good can come out of our city? What good can come out of the places that are on my heart, the places that are on my family's heart? Um, and as I was sitting in that, I felt called to just zoom out a bit and and take this time, take this paper, and create an, Ebene an Ebenezer. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know what that is, that, that's something that's kind of uh, repeated throughout the Old Testament where people will build like this pile of rocks or something to remember what God did in that space. And so for me, this is mine. It's a collection of a variety of styles that I've done throughout my time as an artist, um, a variety of imagery that's meant something to me and, and really demonstrated God's faithfulness in the pain in my past um, and, and in the moments where I don't know, I don't know what's coming and I'm scared. Um, and as Jenna said earlier, like today, today is a day where we, where we decide and celebrate that we see the light. We see the light in the darkness, and, and that's what I wanted this piece to be, not forgetting or, or totally eliminating the shadows that have existed, the pain that's existed, but sitting with both hand in hand, the fact that light is in that space, um, and, and just telling God, I see you. I see you in what's happened, and I, I see you in what's coming, and I'm so grateful that you came and that you're still here. So feel free to ask questions later. I know it's hard to see from the back, but thank you for your time. Hi. Um, as many of you uh, may know, I was honored to be able to write as part of this series last year, and I created a piece um, on my experience with uh, waiting, and in particular, um, the loneliness that can come in waiting. And so this piece is um, its about like a different type of, of waiting, a different type of question. Um, it is called Seascapes. One, narrow. Her stomach sounded a tambourine into the airless desert sky. The day weaved, excuse me, the noise weaved through the sound and around the cries of her starving children, the youngest hitched to her body. Her skin was a sediment of sweat and dust, her hair twisted with sand and silt, her feet bled sticky and hot. It had been six weeks since Israel fled Six weeks since the army of Egypt chased them into the wild. Six since this God cleaved the sea and bridged earth to earth. She had hurried into the red fractured current behind her husband and sons, breath a sandstorm, heart a stampede. With each step, her feet had sunk in the velvet muck of what had been the ocean floor. The impossibility the absurdity, yet her eyes had seen the churning wall of wind-kept waves pinned tall on her left and right. Now, with the static of sun on her neck, she began to weep, densely and faltering. Six weeks of hunger, 
muddling her children's eyes and feasting on their lifeblood. This newfound freedom was a dark and barren well, and she found herself dreaming of where they had come from. For in Egypt, her children had at least been full. Two, blackbirds. I followed God to that seaside city, or maybe God followed me. I wasn't sure, nor was I sure if it mattered. It was one end of a two-year longing brimming with unrequited desire and whiskey drowned out and chandelier burn prayers. Prayers for coffee cups and anatomical hearts and people in picture frames. For this man, for a mist-blinded future that could be, just maybe. And God answered with salt-filled air with the cadence of heeled boots on cement sidewalks down a backlit city and man beside me, our fingers slick with sugar. Prayers for this man, for words from him, answered the moment they left my lips. By the sea, I was wakeful as the first warm day after winter. And now, man remains unknowing and I am landlocked. No compass or constellations to separate night. Love is a foolish word, and I am a fool for thinking it. But the word returns to me again and again like birds at springtime, and nature cannot be reasoned with. Three, sentinel. Moses had said not to be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And she was so still. Every sound in the wilderness found her, the collective intake and release of thousands of sleeping lungs. The woman rose from the tent, sliding the edge of cloth between her fingers until she felt the cool of even fall ground. She stood, a vow of gold scaled the eastern sky, the wasteland empty and dew smothered. Perhaps it was too soon, or the flight of quail last dusk mere luck. Light blushed, then became day. Others woke, her children stirred. She perceived their movements behind the fabric walls. Even so, she did not move. Her baby cried, her husband called. She made no sound. Her oldest sprang past her calming strong limbs. A storm, he stopped and scored his fingers through the droplets. Rising, his palms swelled with grain. She exhaled. The world had become a marine of frost between breasts. Then her son was before her, a cloud in his curious hands. Reaching, she enclosed a delicate flake in her fingerprints. And with the fragility of a feather, she placed the manna to her tongue. Four, backdraft. Every hour, as I type emails, drive in circles, like candles I alone see, recall man's face, his smile. I search the present evening, deliberate stitches of lace, and wait in the fist fight of faith and doubt. Only the scriptures call me back, whispering the same words as deathlessly as the tide. Remember. Remember. Thank you. So beautiful. Thank you, Kaylee and Sarah. Uh, so proud. I love, I, love, I love that I get to say I'm the pastor here. 
Uh, Christmas. Welcome. You're here. It's Christmas Eve, everybody. The most wonderful time of the year. That's what they say. Uh, I, lots of people love Christmas for lots of reasons. Cookies, the trees, the songs, the elves, Santa Claus, the mall, right? The mall. Uh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> and lots of memories associated with Christmas. I was actually, I was at the joke joint this morning, friends. For those of you that don't know, we started this church seven years ago in a comedy club on the other side of the river. And I will let you know that it smells worse today than it did when we started there. So, <laughs> praise the Lord, we're here, not there, amen? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, one, of, one of the memories from the joke joint that I, I, was, I was recollecting while standing there, smelling the wafting fryers in the back and the smoke uh, from the front, um, one year, we, 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 we would do Advent, and we'd do hope, joy, peace, and love, and then we picked a word that we would then give to Christmas Eve and kind of tell the story through that word. And so I think this was year two, and we decided to, to use the word light. So I, I was doing some creative thinking and trying to figure out, like, how do we make this dramatic, and how do I tell this story? This is the worst sermon I write all year, guys, by the way. You all know the story, and you're waiting for me to say something you haven't heard before. Come on, does anyone else want to try this? It's, it's impossible every year. It's impossible. So I'm thinking, like, how do we make this interesting? So I come up with this contraption. And I'm thinking, like, at every, like, dramatic moment in the sermon, this, this chandelier, which I will build, will drop down from the joke joint ceiling. So I concocted this thing. So it was, like, big lamp wires, three of them, and they were connected through an eye bolt to this chandelier that I built. I think we actually have a picture of it, if we could show that. Uh, this is about this is about point two when the, the lights would come down and at each point you know like wow dramatic the lights would come down and they'd start and then by the end of it like the light had arrived like you get it the light of the world here it is right here it's brilliant just absolutely brilliant one of my most creative moments as a pastor I was like bam how you like me now hallelujah so then uh, it was great until the end when. Uh, in, 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 the, in the engineering process, we, we learned that we couldn't get the chandelier to come down. It was, wasn't heavy enough, so we put like 10-pound weights on top of it. This is strung like 20 feet over everybody's head, right? Secured very, very well. So that worked, but then at the end, the sound guy, uh, like all the kids were bustling around, and people were in the afterglow of Christmas Eve. It was just fantastic, lovely. And the sound guy was supposed to tie off the, 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 lamp, the, the chandelier to the whatever in the back, and he had done so, but not well enough. So the kids are wrestling around, and then all of a sudden, and like nobody saw it coming, this gigantic light fixture I'd made comes smashing down and like lightning everywhere, glasses everywhere. The moms are like, get the kids away from the pastor. I see my career like flashing before my eyes. Just fantastic. Oh, man. So we've decided to go with a little more elegant and simple here at St. James, so you're welcome. Uh, but for some, like Christmas is great. For some, as said before, Christmas can be difficult, right? Uh, it, it brings out the worst in some of us, the lines and the malls and shopping. And I think for some, um, the memories of people that, have, that we've lost. Uh, Christmases come and they're, they're hard because we remember people that we've loved, uh, mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. And so I guess I just want to begin by saying I recognize that that is all in the room tonight and that... I have this firm belief and conviction that somehow in the benevolent heart of God, it all belongs, and it's all here. Uh, and I wanted you to know that I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you this week as I sat up in my perch up there in my office thinking about tonight. And I tried to imagine your faces, uh, and I prayed for you. And so tonight, Advent concludes. We end this season of Advent where we think about waiting and hoping and longing and desire and a new season begins, one of Epiphany, where the light of God comes into the world. And if you didn't know, Advent holds within it December 21st, the darkest day of the year. And Epiphany begins today, tomorrow. Uh, and each day, there's a little bit more light, and a little bit more light. 
So I hope that that's true for you. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, and I want to offer just a few thoughts before I send you to whatever gathering it is you go to. Starting in verse 1, Matthew writes this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together and all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and, they, and the star they had seen when it had rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When, the Herod, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Pray with me. God, as we open this story and our hearts uh, to the degree that we can for just a few moments, I pray that you would uh, invite us, speak to us, give us a word or an encouragement or an invitation uh, that we would hear loud and clear from you tonight, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now, you might be wondering why on earth I've chosen this passage to talk about on Christmas Eve. Fair enough, not the most common taught passage on Christmas Eve, Herod and the uh, infanticide in Israel, rightly so. Um, but here's a picture of a nativity scene. I think this is actually very similar to the nativity scene that was either at my mom's house or my grandma's house. I can't remember which, but it has this star, the shooting star, and I remember that. Uh, vividly. And this nativity has all the normal cast of characters, right? You've got Mary and Joseph in the middle. You've got baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus, six pound, eight ounces. You've got over here on the left, the, uh, the, the magi from the east, the wise men. Uh, and then on the right, of course, the shepherd and his little animals. Now, there are a few people in the story who are missing from the nativity scene, and they're not usually put in the nativity scene. Of course, you have the innkeeper. I mean, he sets the stage for the whole thing, right? There's no room in the inn. Down to the stable you go. Uh, he's not in the nativity, typically. Uh, the angels are not in the nativity scene. I mean, they had a really big part. Glory in the highest, in excelsis Deo. Sometimes if you get like the, the expanded Settlers of Catan pack nativity, you get the angels, but usually they're not in there, right? And then, of course, Herod. Herod is not in the scene. He's not in most nativity scenes, and you probably, uh, for good reason. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, we got to put Christ back in Christmas? You ever heard that phrase before? You know, this is sort of an oppositional position of like the big bad world out there and they've taken Jesus out of Christmas. We've got to put Christ back in Christmas, darn it. I want to suggest tonight not that we need to put Christ back in Christmas, but actually I want to try to argue the case that we need Herod back in this story. Uh, 
who was Herod? Herod uh, was an interesting fella. Just briefly, he wasn't even Jewish. He, he, was, he, was, he was born of uh, an Arabian mother, an Idumean father, and he sort of clawed his way into power through like the tumultuous Roman Empire. So when things were going crazy and emperors were moving in and out, Herod sort of moved in and through political savvy and ruthlessness, he got power and given to him, which he sat upon a throne in Jerusalem in Israel. Uh, Herod was, uh, he was a tyrant, an absolute tyrant. He was a nut, like a total psychopath. He killed his own, uh, his own, a couple of his own wives. He killed a couple of his own children. And this guy was nutso. So the question is, why do we leave him out of nativity scenes? Well, obvious answer. It's a kid story for crying out loud, Michael. Why would you put that guy in the nativity scenes, right? Like imagine, here's the nativity and there's Herod with like a, a line of dead bodies behind him. Welcome kids, here's Christmas. Of course, nobody ever wants to do that. Uh, but I would also argue that sometimes with a story like this, we, we sanitize it a little. We make it a little bit more palatable by keeping out characters like Herod, who might scare the children. We don't want him in, that, in this story. Nobody does. I'm still waiting for a Hollywood movie where they write it and like the villain kills the hero and then it ends, right? People would go nuts if that were the end of the story. We can't, I would argue that we can't afford to leave him out of this story, though. And here's why. Two, two reasons. We need Herod in this story because I think that if we leave Herod in the story, the darkness and the evil that Herod represents, in Matthew's gospel, he becomes a symbol of that which is wrong in the world, that which opposes the work of God. And if we leave Herod in, it legitimizes the world that you and I live in, which is often a cold and dark place. And sometimes we experience that. Imagine if Christmas happened in, like, Pleasantville. You remember Jim Carrey in Pleasantville? Or in Wobegon, where all the women are good-looking and all the men are... No, all the women are strong, the women are good-looking, and the kids are above average. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Like, imagine if that were the place, if that were, like, the, the kind of setting into which Christmas comes. You know, everything is well. The 401ks are up. Uh, everybody's got retirement for the kids and the grandkids. Uh, if, that, if that's where Christmas comes, then for those of us living in this world in 2016, when we watch the news and we see news of Aleppo or any other humanitarian crisis, this story would have nothing for you and for me. And yet, Christmas, the story we read in the scriptures, comes exactly right in the middle of a world that has people like Herod and systems and symbols that Herod represents. And so I would say to you tonight, these people walked amidst a great darkness and a light shone. And for some of us tonight who walked into this room and who head to whatever holiday parties we're headed to, walk in darkness and feel dark. And Christmas says that a light is shown. I would also say that we need Herod in this story because we need the tension to recognize the nature of the gift. Uh, we know this to be true, but for whatever reason, we run from pain and we minimize it. We're a culture uh, of, who are pain-averse, like hard pass, swipe left on pain and conflict, right? Um, if we have an headache, a headache, we take a pill, because if you can relieve it, then why walk through it? But everything that we know about life and science and art and music says that we need the tension. I mean, even just birth itself. Right? Think about birth. In, in, in the process of birth, in this seemingly impossible and unimaginably uncomfortable space known as the birth canal, things happen. Like, if you've, ever, if you've ever studied this, this is miraculous. It's just fascinating. Like, when a baby is born, all the liquid that was in their lungs gets, like, compressed out of their lungs so that they can breathe their first breath. In that space. 
Things that uh, microbes are passed from mom to baby so that infections that would kill the baby, are, are, they're able to fight it off. The breast milk that would be otherwise undigestible becomes digestible because, 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 of, because, of, because of this space. Music, right? Consonance and dissonance. These, music is built on the tension that exists between these two ideas or these two things. We know art, right? This piece of art. It says something because there's tension here, because there's opposing ideas. We need the light to know the darkness, and we need the darkness to know the light. And so I would suggest to you tonight, I was listening to this rabbi this, this last week on a podcast. He was talking about the two great rabbis of Jesus' day, it was Shammai and Hallel. And he said that every great position or argument is indebted in some way, shape, or form to its opposing view. It cannot exist on its own. And we know this. We need Herod in this story because as the representative of darkness and evil and empire, of Aleppo and crooked politicians and oppression and greed and all these things that we know, without it we lose the sense of wonder of how deep and how profound it is that God comes in the middle of this. So maybe you're here tonight and you can relate. Maybe you're here tonight and you've lost someone or a relationship has ended or you were dragged here and you're counting the seconds until you can leave, or you're headed to a holiday party to, with people you really don't care to be with. Maybe your kid has got a diagnosis that you didn't see coming, or you've got a diagnosis that you didn't see coming. Friends, it's Christmas, but, and yet we hold these things, right? And I would just say to you, if Herod is in this story, then Christmas comes here tonight. I'll close with this. You know the song, The First Noel? The First Noel, the angels did say, this word, this idea of Emmanuel in the scriptures, God with us. In the Bible, in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 and 2, it says this about a guy named Joseph. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of the Egyptian master. What does this have to do with Christmas Eve? In the scriptures, where something appears for the first time, it's, it's really important in Jewish literature, especially when that word goes on to play a significant role in the rest of the story. So the idea of God being with someone plays an entirely huge role in the story of the scriptures, right? Emmanuel, go come, O come, Emmanuel. This is Israel's cry from Isaiah 40. Fascinatingly, in the scriptures, the first time it speaks of God being with someone is Joseph in verse 2 of chapter 39. And friends, this could very well possibly be the worst moment of Joseph's entire life. He has just been sold, backstabbed, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, where he has traveled from Israel to Egypt, bound by hand, probably not clothed well, with a whole bunch of other slaves who have been, not been given bathroom breaks. You tracking with me? Can you imagine traveling, walking from Israel to Egypt, bound in chains, bound by your hands, with the people in front of you going to the bathroom, the people behind you going to the bathroom, and you going to the bathroom. He shows up here at the house of Potiphar, having been enslaved, sold by his brothers, betrayed, standing in his own refuse, and it's here, in this moment, of all the moments that the scriptures say, God is with somebody for the first time. Come on, baby! And I want to suggest to you tonight that it's this story... And this kind of moment and truth 
that it's not when the 401k is full. It's not when the marriage works. It's not when the kids are wonderful. All the kids are going to be all right. It's not when we have it all together that Christmas comes and says, Merry Christmas, everybody. No, it's right here in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of my brokenness, that the scriptures call from on high, a light has shone, and it is for all people. Isaiah chapter 9 says that, uh, it's, here, here we are, uh, here, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow, the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. To the people in the scriptures, they walked in darkness often. And a light has shone. And to you tonight, in 2016, I would say to you, Christmas comes to you. It comes to me in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of whatever it is you brought into this space tonight. And so may we be the community, one of the communities that says, good news, friends, good news. It's not when you have it all together that the Christmas message comes. It's right here. It's right now. It's for you. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song as we close. And this is a tradition that many of you have probably participated in. We'll have candles. Somewhere I have a candle around here. Can I have, Lyndon, can I have one of those candles? <laughs> hey, thanks. Appreciate your uh, taking one for the team there, pal. That's my youngest. <clears throat> we're going to sing a song called Silent Night, which tells a story about a dark night where a light came and it shone. Uh, and so I would, I would invite you as we do that to take that in, to really experience what's being said and done in this room as darkness falls over the room and then it comes back as we light one another's candles. So pray with me if you would. I'll invite you to sing together. God, as we gather in this place tonight, as we think about Christmas, as we think about the world in which, into which you came, this vulnerable and dependent child, Emmanuel, God with us. I pray that wherever your spirit finds us tonight, whatever we're holding, if it's joy and exhilaration and happiness or if it's pain or brokenness or difficulty, I pray that this light will find us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, may the light of God, the light that has shone in the darkness, find you tonight. And may you find a little bit more light each day as Epiphany begins. May grace and peace. Merry Christmas. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.